everybody, this is your stressed and sleepy host, Zara Zolani. Please grab your smoke and your snacks. Let's get right into the next episode of Stone Story Time. Oh my god, y'all. <laughs> okay, so I'm smoking, what is this? I am smoking Fifth Element. I don't know if I ever smoked it on the show before, but... I am in my feelings. <laughs> okay, so I got this one because it had like a lot of limonene or, uh, okay, everybody says limonene. It's supposed to be limonene, but that doesn't sound right to me, so I say limonene. I think I said that before, but this one is supposed to be antidepressant, but it's actually just got me deep in my feelings. <laughs> so if you ever feel like you need mm, a strain that would maybe help you process, oh, it's really good for journaling. If you would need something that would have you in a very reflective place, then I would suggest this. But try and make sure you go in with like a really good mood because I was like kind of sad before. And so maybe it's just, you know, amplifying that sadness that I had and allowing me to sort of shift through it with a little bit more clarity. So, I mean, I guess I'm okay with that. If you're okay with that and you're okay with feeling a little bit of emotion, then I would suggest it. Oh shit, also new moon and Pisces energy. That's why I'm emotional, okay. It came together. It came together. <laughs> okay, it all makes sense. I get it. Um, but y'all, I, I really have been extremely stressed about school. Um, for those of you who don't know, I am in college full time. And I've been really stressed. It's been really hard adjusting and acclimating into the university that I transferred into. It's a huge state college. Um, it's just, it's an incredible research university, and that's why I chose it. But um it's, it's just such a different space and environment, and it, it has been really difficult for me. Um, I actually broke my toe the week before school started, and then I caught the flu the next day. Like, literally, I was in uh, urgent care that night and came back that morning because I had the flu. Um, so I've been basically sick and unprepared ever since. <laughs> like, honestly, the first week of school, um, before I le- learned the bus routes, I was walking with my um boot on my broken toe like I was walking about four miles a day on average four times a week because that's when I have classes Monday through Thursday right four miles a day on average on a broken toe like not distributing my weight correctly like my whole leg wasn't my whole entire right side of my body was in pain that entire week um, before I was able to learn the bus routes and like easier ways to get to classes. Um, And, you know, because of all of this, the stress of being in the new environment, getting sick over and over and over again, having all this pain in my body, my anxiety skyrocketed, like skyrocketed. And um, I began having panic attacks again, which I haven't had panic attacks in a long time. And I I started having panic attacks again. my anger and fear manifested in a really ugly way one day and that I actually projected it onto someone else. Like, y'all, I've done way too much work to be acting like that, but that's, you know, that's how it came out. And it was a stranger who totally didn't deserve it. I mean, I was really acting outside of myself. I didn't like that. Um, I really didn't like that. But all that to say, I really have been away from my best self in a while, like in many weeks. And I just, I have not been feeling like myself. Um, but I have been going to therapy and, you know, trying to make up schoolwork. And I believe that recording this episode is a sign that I'm doing pretty good again. Like I'm coming back, 
you know, getting back on the right track. Anyway, all that to say, my apologies for how long it's been since the last episode. I really, really miss you all. (laughs) And it's time to get into this week's story, which is Beauty and the Beast. There was once a merchant who had three daughters, the youngest of whom was so beautiful that everybody called her Beauty. This made the two eldest very jealous, and as they were spiteful and bad-tempered by nature, instead of loving their younger sister, they felt nothing but envy and hatred towards her. After some years, there came a terrible storm at sea, and most of the merchant's ships were sunk, and he became very poor. He and his family were obliged to live in a very small house and do without the servants and fine clothes to which they had been used to. The two eldest sisters did nothing but weep and lament for their lost fortune, but Beauty did her best to keep the house bright and cheerful so that her father might not miss too much of all the comfort and luxury to which he was accustomed to. One day, the merchant told his daughters that he was going to take a journey into foreign lands in the hope of recovering some of his property. He asked them what they would like him to bring them home in case he should be successful. The eldest daughter asked for fine gowns and beautiful clothing, the second for jewels and gold and silver trinkets. And Beauty, what would Beauty like? asked the father. Beauty was so happy and contented always that there was scarcely anything for which she longed. She thought for a moment and then she said, I would like best of all a red rose. The other sisters burst out laughing and scoffed at Beauty's simple request, but her father promised to bring her what she wanted. Then he said goodbye to his children and set out on his travels. He was away for nearly a year and was so fortunate as to win back a great part of his lost wealth. When the time came for his return, he was easily able to buy the things his eldest daughters wished for but nowhere could he find a red rose to take home to beauty, and at last he was obliged to set off without one. When he was within a few miles journey of his home, he lost himself in a thick wood. Darkness came on, and he began to be afraid that he would have to pass the night under a tree, when suddenly he saw a bright light shining in the distance. He went towards it, and on his approach found it came from a great castle that was set right in the heart of the forest. The merchant made up his mind to ask if he might spend the night there, but to his surprise, when he reached the door, he found it was set wide open and nobody about. After a while, finding that no one came in answer to his repeated knocking, he walked inside. There he found a table laid with every delicacy, and being very hungry, he sat down and made himself a meal. After he had finished his supper, he laid himself down on a luxurious couch, and in a few minutes, he was fast asleep. In the morning, after eating a hearty breakfast, which he found prepared for him, he left the mysterious castle without having set eyes on a single person. As he was passing through the garden, he found himself in an avenue of rose trees, all covered with beautiful red roses. Here are such thousands of flowers, he said to himself, that surely one bud will not be missed. And, thinking of beauty, he broke off a rose from one of the bushes. Scarcely had he done so when he heard a terrible noise, and turning around he saw coming towards him a hideous beast, who exclaimed in an awful tone, 
ungrateful wretch. You have partaken of my hospitality, have eaten of my food, have slept in my house, and in return you tried to rob me of my roses. For this theft you shall die. The merchant fell on his knees and begged for pardon, but the beast would not listen to him. Either you must die now, or else you must swear to send me in your stead the first living thing that meets you on your return home, he said. And the merchant, overcome with terror and thinking that one of his dogs would be sure to be the first creature to greet him, gave his promise. But to his horror and dismay, it was his youngest daughter, Beauty, who first ran out to greet him on his return. She had seen him coming from afar and hastened to welcome him home. She did not at first understand her father's grief at seeing her, but when he told her the story of the beast and his promise, she did her best to comfort him. Do not fear, dear father, she said. Perhaps the beast will not prove so terrible as he looks. He spared your life. He may spare mine since I have done him no harm. Her father shook his head mournfully, but there was no help for it. He had promised to send the beast the first living creature that met him on his return, so he was obliged to send Beauty herself in his place. When he left Beauty at the palace of the beast, she found everything prepared for her comfort and convenience. A beautiful bedchamber was ready for her use. The rooms were filled with everything that she could possibly want, and in the great hall of the castle a table was set with every delicacy. Everywhere there were bowls full of red roses. No servants were visible, but there was no lack of service, for invisible hands waited upon her and attended to her every want and need. She had but to wish, and whatever she wanted was at once placed before her. Beauty was filled with astonishment at all this luxury and magnificence. Surely the beast does not wish to harm me, she thought, for he would never have so ordered everything for my comfort. She waited with a good courage for the coming of the lord of the castle. In the evening, the beast appeared. He was certainly very terrible to look at, and beauty trembled at the sight of the hideous monster. But she forced herself to appear brave, and indeed there was no cause for her alarm. The beast was kindness itself, and so gentle and respectful in his attentions to her that beauty soon lost all fear. She soon became very fond of him, and would have been quite happy had it not been for the thought of her father and her sisters, and the grief which she knew her father would be suffering on her account. The thought of this sorrow made her sorrowful too, and one night when the beast came to visit her at his usual hour, she was so sad that he asked her what was the matter. Beauty begged him to let her go and visit the father. The beast was very unwilling to grant her request. If I let you go, I'm afraid you will never come back to me, he said, and then I shall die of grief. Beauty promised most earnestly to come back to him if he would only allow her to spend a few days with her family, and at last the beast yielded to her entreaties. He gave her a ring, saying, Put this on your little finger when you go to bed tonight, and wish, and in the morning you will find yourself at home in your father's house. But if you do not return to me at the end of the week, I shall die of sorrow. Beauty's father was almost overcome with joy at seeing his daughter again, and he was delighted to hear of her happiness and good fortune. 
but her two sisters, who in the meantime had married, were more jealous than ever of their beautiful sister. They were not very happy with their husbands, who were poor and not over-lovable, and they were very envious of Beatty's clothes and all of the luxuries with which she had told them she was surrounded. They tried to think of a plan by which they could prevent their sister from enjoying her good fortune. Let us keep her beyond the week that the beast has allowed her, they said. Then doubtless he will be so angry that he will kill her. So they pretended to be very fond of beauty. And when the time came for her to return, they overwhelmed her with tears and caresses, begging her not to leave them and to stay at least one more day with them. Beauty was distressed at their grief, and at last she consented to stay just one more day, though her heart misgave her sorely when she thought of the poor beast. That night, as she lay in bed, she had a dream. She dreamt that she saw the beast dying of sorrow at her forgetfulness, and so real did it seem that she woke up in an agony of dismay. "'How could I have been so cruel and ungrateful?' she cried. I promised faithfully that I would return at the end of the week. What will he think of me for breaking my promise? Hastily rising from bed, she searched for the ring the beast had given her. Putting it on her little finger, she wished to be at the palace of the beast again. In a moment, she found herself there. Quickly putting on her clothes, she hurried out to look for the beast. She searched through room after room, but nowhere could she find him. At last, she ran out into the garden. And there, on a plot of grass, where he and she sat so often together, she found him lying as if dead upon the ground. With a bitter cry, she sank onto her knees beside the poor beast. Oh, beast, my dear, dear beast, she cried. How could I have been so cruel and wicked and unkind? Has he died from sorrow as he said he would? The tears fell down from her eyes as she spoke. Overcome with grief and remorse, she stooped down and tenderly kissed the ugly beast. In a moment, there was a sudden noise, and Beauty was startled to find that the ugly beast had vanished. The beast was a beast no longer, but a handsome prince who knelt at her feet, thanking her for having broken his enchantment. A wicked fairy, he said, Condemn me to keep the form of a beast until a beautiful maiden should forget my ugliness and kiss me. You, by your love and tenderness, have broken the spell and released me from my horrible disguise. Now, thanks to you, I can take my proper form again. And he then begged Beauty to become his bride. So Beauty married the prince, who had been a beast, and they lived together in the castle and ruled over the prince's country, and were happily ever after. You guys, I chose Beauty and the Beast for a very intentional reason. I know that sometimes when I am struggling with my mental health that I can feel like the beast. Right? And I think some of... Well, for me, this this week, it was my mental illness, right? Some of that can feel like a curse. 
And I think it doesn't stop there. I mean, it can be anything that attaches you to the margins or the perimeter of society, right? Those types of differences, um, where your intersections are, where your identity lies or what labels you assume on yourself. Those can sometimes, sometimes feel like curses, right? When they become a burden, burden is in quotes to other people and those people then expect us to ease said burden you know even though we're the ones at the margins anyway not to go on a tangent but it can sometimes feel that way for those of us who are actually living um with those identities right when you're the person that's living with it um and for us I'm not I can't speak for everybody so I'll speak for myself so for me it's not that i need to be saved and i think for a lot of people a lot of people don't actually need to be saved they simply need to be seen right in those moments where i am the beast it is because i need to be seen exactly as i am without layered expectations on top of that just seen fully and wholly right me and maybe others who resonate with this maybe we need to be seen so that that spell can break so we can see ourselves with clarity once again sometimes we just need that outer shell broken and we can do that through seeing someone fully authentically and not expecting more or less from them and just loving them you know no matter what loving them because they are so human in that moment and I want to be clear I want to be very very clear this does not extend to abusive behavior (laughs) No, um, the therapist can see them, you know, <laughs> the therapist can do that work. I'm talking about people who are your loved ones, people who are in your community, the friendships that you have, the relationships that you have, um, being able to see those people in their very human moments. I am not excusing any type of abusive behavior here. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, and I point that out because I want to be clear that in the story, the beast was still extraordinarily kind, even though he had this curse upon him. So that's why I say it doesn't extend to abusive behavior. This is to people who, you know, absolutely deserve this. Um, I would say black non-men all the way at the top, like 100%, 100% of the time, I'm going to try and meet you where you at. Everybody else, I don't know. Um, but because of that, I really wanted to get into a bit of like applied ethics, just a little bit, not too deep because I am not a master here. I am not an expert in applied ethics at all. This is just a theory that I do hold near and dear to my heart. Um, and I discovered this within myself a long time ago. Um, but I do want to say that there is a difference between nice and kind, right? And I think as you listen to this and as you maybe hopefully do your own research that it would be helpful for you to come up with your own definitions of what nice means and then what kind means to you. But uh, niceness is by definition is pleasing or agreeable. And um, to me, niceness is like, how can I make myself small in order to make others feel comfortable, right? That's the agreeableness there. And I feel like we see it every day, like in the workplace, um, when we're code switching, uh, we see it with small talk. It's like it's pleasing, like it's it's nice. <laughs> um, and it really also doesn't mean anything. Like you don't remember like a, a lot of nice things that happen. You remember the kindest things that happen, like things that happen from the heart. But, you know, someone holding a door open for you is kind of like, oh, okay, that was nice. But it wasn't probably the highlight of your day. Hopefully it wasn't. Um, <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't. But with um, kindness, to me, I feel that kindness is 
when one is moving in a way that they recognize your humanity, right? And they are working not to strip that away from you. They're actively working that way in their interactions with you. Um, these people have a lot of patience and a lot of compassion for others. And it doesn't mean that they tolerate bullshit. They don't, which I think is something that really ought to be brought up when we're comparing kindness and niceness. I myself am a kind person, but I am not nice. <laughs> I walk around with resting bitch face because I really don't want people to talk to me. Usually I don't have the energy, just want to get in and get out. And that's fine. But in my interactions and in my efforts to, you know, give my offerings to the world and my yoga teachings, I am the kindest person ever. You know, I care for every single person that steps into that room. I hold space for every single person and whatever they have going on with them. I hold space for that. It doesn't matter. There have been times where I have just exuded the most patience with people who if I would have met them on the street, <laughs> I would have had to cuss them out, you know, but when I'm in that teacher mode, I am completely moving from kindness and the reason that I have this podcast, the reason that I am trying to share my story, this is out of kindness because I want others to be able to relate to one another. I want people to get closer to themselves. I want people to know themselves deeply. And because I know myself deeply, <laughs> I know that I am kind and not really nice and I'm okay with that. Um, but I like that because most kind people have great boundaries and that's something to respect where a lot of just nice people, people who are only nice, uh, they have typically very weak boundaries, right? They don't know how to stand up for themselves because they haven't done that work, that internal work to really recognize themselves and see themselves. So I think you'll be able to spot it with a little bit more ease out in the world, hopefully, as you read, hopefully more about applied ethics, as you take into consideration my own personal definition and as you create your own. Um, also going back to kindness, I want to say that's why the beast got really angry because <laughs> his kindness was taken for granted. He had provided all this for the merchant, for the dad. He had provided all that, like you got food, you got clothes, you got warmth, shelter, whatever you need, you got breakfast on the way out. And then you gonna take one of my roses, my guy, like for what, <laughs> for what? Like, don't take it for granted. So when you come across kind people, don't overextend your welcome. Make sure that they have space to, you know, rejuvenate. Make sure they have space to love on themselves. If you can love on them, that would be amazing. You know, make sure that you nurture and nourish that kindness that you see in other people. Um, because true kindness, especially in community sense and in intimate relationships, is pouring into one another over and over and over again. Because there are ebb and flows in every single type of relationship, um, but especially intimate ones, especially deeply committed relationships where you are committing to this person that when I'm empty, I would love for you to fill me. And when you're empty, I am committing to filling you up, you know, so that you both are exuding and expanding that kindness with one another. Um, and I think that that's really important because we all need more relationships like that. Um, to go back to me coming out of myself, um, my girlfriend is the kindest person I think I've ever met in my life. I'm quite sure of it because instead of getting angry with me, she asked me, she said, where are you? Where'd you go? Like, come back. And she recognized that I was not myself. And out of her kindness, she began to pour into me. And she waited. And she, she was upset, but she waited, right? And when I was finally able to come back to myself, 
I mean, the clarity that I had was astonishing. So for those of us who do sometimes feel like a beast, just remember, you know, we can tap into kindness and you have to be receptive to it when people try to pour into you. So try not to be in that shell for too long, but recognize when people are seeing you and pour into those relationships, nourish those relationships. That way we can grow our community and we have more people to rely on. So hopefully it's not just one person's responsibility. It becomes this beautiful community effort where every single person can pour into one another. Um, yeah. So for some inquiries, are you nice or are you kind? And by the way, they are not mutually exclusive. Yes, you can be both. Yes, you can be neither. <laughs> Let's see. Do you offer your loved ones grace when they are burdened with their illnesses? What work are you doing to ensure that you don't need to be saved by anyone and simply seen? And finally, when was the last time you felt seen? And if you can recall that, also try and write down when that was, where it was, and who you were with. I think that's really important to make those notes. All right, y'all, that's it. Thank you once again for tuning into another episode of Stone Storytime. If you want to talk to me for any reason, you can find me on Instagram at sahar.zolani. You can send me a DM. I will see it and I will appreciate it. <laughs> but for now, I promise to take better care of myself this week. And I hope to be back very, very soon with another episode. All right, guys. Good night. Good night.